All right, uh, if you did not bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a Bible, should be one right around you. Um, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs this morning, and on in the Pew Bible, it's on page 528. All right, and then once you find it, go ahead and stand up. Uh, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 2, yeah, and we're going to read the whole chapter. All right, just go ahead and follow along with me as, as I read it. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray. Father God, you are the center of our lives. You're the center of this world. You created it, and so you belong on the top. Lord, you belong on the throne of our hearts, We praise you, Lord, that you don't just stay up there and and don't desire intimacy and relationship with us. Not only are you the sovereign of this universe, but you are the eternal God who took on flesh and became a man to know what it was like to experience and encounter sin directly and to ultimately carry sin on our behalf. 
so that we might truly know you. And so this morning, I pray that your word would reveal even more of the truth of who you are, what you do, and the invitation that you want to present to each one of us, whether we know you today or we've been walking with you a long time. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, have a seat. All right, so for the first two weeks of this series, so we've been in the book of Proverbs uh, in August, and it's been a good time so far. We're just doing four weeks, uh, which, you know, barely scratches the surface of Proverbs. But for the first two weeks, we have been hammering home the importance of relationships in the navigation of life. So the first week, we, we talked about a relationship with God that Proverbs identifies as the fear of the Lord. And then the second week, we talked about the, our relationships with others. But if you've been reading Proverbs with us this month, and that's what we've been inviting us into, is reading a chapter a day for the month of August, you'll have noticed, though, that starting on August 10th, Proverbs chapter 10, through even today, you've noticed that Proverbs is full of practical advice. There are countless recommendations on how to do life. Go this way. Don't go this way. Go this way and it'll hurt. Go this way and you will live. What do we do with this constant stream of tips and tricks for living? So, what I'm going to submit to you this morning is that you can categorize all of these tips and tricks and pieces of advice into the joint category of righteousness and justice. And so this morning, what we're talking about, according to Proverbs, wisdom is this. Fear God and do righteousness and justice. Okay? And so we've talked a lot about relationships lately, and, and rightly so. You know, Proverbs has made it clear that living rightly involves rightly relating both with God and with others. So what we find in Proverbs is that the end result of living rightly with God and others is a life characterized by righteousness and justice. Doing righteousness and justice is simply a shorthand way to describe the life where all your relationships are well-ordered. With God, with yourself, with others. Therefore, You cannot divorce doing righteousness and justice from the fear of God. So, I want to ask this question. Why? Why can't we divorce the fear of God from doing righteousness and justice? Or, to switch those two, why can't we divorce doing righteousness and justice from the fear of God? And we'll walk through three reasons this morning. You know, first, 
God is all about righteousness and justice. Okay? Second, God defines righteousness and justice. But third, and finally, God empowers us for righteousness and justice. Okay, so first, God is all about righteousness and justice. And, you know, this comes right out of the gate in chapter 1, verse 3. And we'll start from, from verse 2. It says, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, it says. And so right out of the gate, we discover that an end goal of proper instruction in wisdom is a life characterized by righteousness, justice, and equity. Okay. So we find God is all about it. This is something he likes. This is something he wants to impart to us. But I want to take a little rabbit trail first. What we don't see here in Proverbs, what we don't ever see here is that doing righteousness and justice is a means to get to God. Take another look at uh, the chapter we read this morning, starting in verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4, it says, If you seek it, wisdom, like silver, and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. And so here we find that rather than a means to get to God or as a means to live a quote-unquote good life, we see that righteousness, justice, and equity are where God wants to personally escort us. These things are a natural byproduct of a true relationship with this God. And so we don't enter this relationship through the gate of doing good, of righteousness, of justice. We enter because of God's character and actions. We enter because of him. And the first week we we got to meditate briefly on the character of God and and it's beautiful and unfortunate that, that, you know, in the last hundred years, we've translated the personal name of God as the Lord. You know, all caps, we find. When it says in verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom, that word is Yahweh. This is God's personal covenant name. And so, in the first week, we meditated briefly on his character, which, which he reveals way back in Exodus. That is, his character is one of steadfast love and faithfulness. And so the problem that the Bible and even Proverbs lays out is that, you know, though God is our creator, though he is desiring relationship with with us, 
But as a human race, we rejected that relationship in favor of being our own gods. And so sin entered the picture in Genesis chapter 3. Sin then separates us from God and prevents the level of intimacy that we were made for. And so this is, of course, where God's plan from ages past, from even before the foundation of the world, to send Jesus comes in. That because of his steadfast love, because of his faithfulness, because of his character, he sent Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to earth as a man to bear the penalty of sin on our behalf so that we could re-enter this relationship. And so even Proverbs attests to this. In Proverbs 16.6, it says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity, or sin, is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. And so, if steadfast love and faithfulness illustrate the character of God, righteousness and justice display the ways of God. And God even says this himself when he reveals himself to Abraham. He says this in Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by what? Doing righteousness and justice. And so if steadfast love and faithfulness describe who God is, Righteousness and justice is what he does. It describes his actions in the world. And so, because in Christ we are made children of God, then it makes sense that God desires to invite us as his children to do what he does, to walk in his ways. And chapter 2 illustrates this. You know, we see righteousness, justice, and equity described in verse 9 as every good path. And then contrasting with the ways of evil men and women described as ways of darkness, ways of crookedness. And so, all I'm getting at this morning is that righteousness and justice is not what we do first to get to God. Righteousness and justice is what God wants to personally lead us into. This is the kind of person he wants to make. You know, you've all heard or read Psalm 23, which says, He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When you're getting to know someone, you know, whether it's a friend or even a romantic uh, relationship, you might Early on in the relationship, you might ask them, you know, what, what do you like to do in your free time? What types of things do you do when no one's telling you what to do? And so, you know, if, if it's hiking, then you might deepen the relationship by joining them on a hike. You know, if it's reading, then you might find one of their favorite books and, and read it. The couple who did my wife's and my uh, marriage counseling, they called this concept sharings and they they try to to find you know every favorite thing from childhood every favorite movie every favorite book every favorite hobby and 
the other person would try to experience that for themselves so that they could know the person even better. And I think that's a cool practice. But we can do this with God. Let me tell you what God likes to do in his free time. Righteousness and justice. And these are some intense words from Jeremiah, but let me give you a counterexample of of what I'm talking about. You know, in Jeremiah 22, it says this, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages, who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you're a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. And then this is the kicker. God says this, Is not this to know me? He says, Is not this to know me? Declares the Lord. But you have eyes and heart only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. God's hobby is righteousness and justice. God is all about righteousness and justice. But he doesn't assign us righteousness and justice as homework and then grade us on it. He invites us first into relationship by utter grace, completely based on his character, what he has done. But then he invites us to get to know him better by joining him on what he likes to do. But we really have to ask, and this is our second point, is what is righteousness and justice? And so God is all about righteousness and justice, but secondly, God defines righteousness and justice. So the second reason we can't divorce the fear of God from doing righteousness and justice is because there are countless competing views for what these terms mean. And so as Christians, as people who are seeking to submit and sit under Scripture, under the Word of God, we have to let God define these terms for us. And we see this in chapter 2, especially verse 6. Look at it. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. God is the source. He's the source of wisdom and and guidance in righteousness and justice follows his wisdom. Listen also to Proverbs 28, verse 5. It says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Evil men do not understand justice. 
but those who seek the Lord understand it. You want to know what justice is? Seek God. The nice thing is that Scripture does not keep this a secret. We're not left in the dark for what the Word of God wants to say about righteousness and justice. The Hebrew words righteousness and justice are sadaka and mishpat. These words are used hundreds of times across the whole Old Testament. But many of those times are used together as sort of a unified dual reality, righteousness and justice. And what they are is rooted in who God is. Listen to Psalm 89, 14. says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And so righteousness and justice biblically are concepts rooted in who God is and what He does. And they extend their meaning to human interaction based on who God is. And this interaction is both in personal relationships and in the broader community. God is the true north of any definition of righteousness and justice. But put simply, you know, as a pair, they mean to do right. They mean to do right, but it's not just in a vacuum. It's it's not just to do right as by myself walking through this world. These are relational words. It means to do right by God, first and foremost. But it also means to do right by others, to do right by oneself, to do righteousness and justice is to do what is right and true for all involved. But something we can't ignore is that the biblical discussion of righteousness and justice is often concerned with how the disadvantaged of society is faring. And this is the case in Proverbs, as well as the books of Moses and the prophets. This word pair, righteousness and justice, is heavily concerned with the vulnerable of society. And there are four groups that Scripture maintains are in this category. And these are called out specifically. First, we have the poor. Second, we have the fatherless, orphans. Third, we have widows. And fourth, sojourners or immigrants or foreigners or refugees. Listen to how Job, you know, the righteous man who experienced unjust suffering, Listen to how he describes righteousness and justice. He says, I delivered the poor who cried for help, and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. And so here we find that righteousness and justice in the words of the Old Testament and the prophets and the books of wisdom are not just 
things I don't do, things I avoid. They're things I do. They're people I watch out for. They're people I advocate for. And Proverbs, countless times, has a special focus on the poor. In Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, it says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And if you do a quick search of Proverbs for the word poor, over and over and over again, he who lends to the poor lends to the Lord, it says. Wow. But that's not the whole story of righteousness and justice in Proverbs. We see right here in chapter 2 that it's not just how we relate with the disadvantaged of society. We see that part of walking in righteousness and justice is walking in personal righteousness before God. Specifically, here in chapter 2, we see integrity of speech in verse 12. We see honest and fair dealings in verse 15. We see sexual integrity in verses 16 to 19. These two are ways that God wants to escort us into. These two are the righteousness and justice he wants to form in us. God wants to escort us toward personal holiness as well. Why is that? Because he is holy. He only does what is right by others, but he is also holy and completely perfect. And we are his children. He wants to make us like him. So this is where he's leading us. And so we find God defines righteousness and justice. And, you know, I want to take a quick second and say that our hyper-politicized and polarized culture right now is trying its hardest to define these words, especially justice, for us. And I am not saying that it's a simple read your Bible and you know all the answers kind of a thing. You know, I know that even amongst well-meaning Christians, there's disagreement. And that's okay. But can we disagree well? Can we disagree with charity and grace? These are difficult cultural moments to navigate. It's murky. You know, politics is a necessary thing. It's just how people do stuff together. And, but here's something to realize. You know, as we find ourselves careening towards another election cycle, okay, I'm going there. Jesus has not and will not fully endorse one political party in America. Okay? But simultaneously, and equally important, Satan has not chosen just one political side to manipulate for his purposes. Navigating this culture requires so much more wisdom than that. So do not baptize one party or demonize another. Engage. Yes. Engage as much as you feel called to. We need Christians who put God before their tribe's truth desperately. But 
As much as God calls you to engage, remain open to his definition, superseding your preferred party's platform. And remember that 99% of your righteousness and justice is to be done in the relationships you already have, the people that are already in your life, the people who God brings before you. Do not blow up that 1% of the things I do in voting and, and engaging in the community in that way as the only way to pursue these things. Not even close. Righteousness and justice is about doing right by those we're in relationship with. God, others. And so this leads us to the best news so far. Yeah, God is all about it. Yeah, he defines it. But also, he empowers us for righteousness and justice. It was easy to miss, but take a look at verses 9 and 10 again. It says, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Did you catch that? Fearing God and doing righteousness and justice isn't about externals. It it goes so much deeper than that. God wants to reshape us from within. He wants to make wisdom bubble up out of our heart. He wants us to have pleasure in doing his ways and in doing righteousness and justice. Pleasant to our soul. He wants to give us an appetite for his favorite pastimes. He doesn't want you to perform. He doesn't want you to signal how great you are at following his commands or or the culture's crushing stream of guilt trips. He wants to, in his words, give you a new heart. Because if we didn't know, we can't fool him. We might be able to fool our followers, but we can't fool God. You can do all the good deeds you want, but what do you do when your heart is not even in it? You know, what do you do when, if what you're doing is just doing it to check the box? Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. And so, just as God's righteousness and justice stems from and out of his character of steadfast love and faithfulness, God wants to create that character in you. Proverbs 21, 2 and 3 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And then it says this, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. He wants to create an obedient heart in you to help you be more concerned with caring for others than caring what they think of you. To be more concerned with meeting a need than checking a box. This is such good news. This jaw-dropping news, it doesn't get us off the hook of doing righteousness and justice. No, no way but it provides the power to actually do it. 
This is heart work that we cannot do ourselves. This is the good news that is made clear in the New Testament, but is promised in the Old. The prophet Ezekiel spoke of this reality to a people longing for hope and redemption from their failures. In Ezekiel 36, he says, well, he, God is speaking, and he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When Jesus came along, And he promised the Spirit. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. In the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have what we need to enjoy this inside-out transformation that God wants to accomplish in us. And so fearing God by doing righteousness and justice, this is not about box checking. This is not about getting God off our back and saying, God, come on, I do enough for you. It's about becoming who we've been reborn to be. It's about walking with God toward embodying His character in all our relationships. With God, with ourselves, with our world. It's about letting Him define our next steps. Since He is the very source of wisdom. It's really about accepting His invitation to escort us, to, to carry us, to hold our hands as we walk that path of righteousness. To escort us to places we could never have reached by ourselves. Not by reading all the, the latest books on the subject, but by being led by the actual and only God of the universe. This is better news than we typically settle for. We like to think of ourselves as on the right side of history. We like to think of ourselves as, as knowing accurately what's right, what's wrong, who's wrong, who's right. The problems come when we don't consult the author of history himself. Typically, talks, you know, sermons, Words given about righteousness and justice leave us with a guilty feeling. I don't do enough. I'm not enough. And so as we turn to a time of response, you know, what I want to do is invite, firstly, those who might be here who have been crushed by the fact that they have not been able to measure up to the world's standard, to, to your own standard, to God's standard. And, you know, technically it's true. You can't measure up. And that's, that's sort of the bad news that has to come before the good news. And we cannot measure up especially to God's standard. But God, but God, He is the only one who provides a remedy for that. 
for falling short, for not measuring up. Only God gives you righteousness up front. Only God judges you not guilty up front. Then, and only then, does he empower you to walk in his life-giving ways. And so before we enter time of worship, I want to have everyone close your, close your eyes. And if, that's, if, if you this morning are someone who has been crushed by not being able to measure up, and you want to receive the gift of Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' salvation, I want to invite you to pray with me. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come forward. But I'd like you to just quietly to yourself uh, pray this prayer with me. God, I have not been able to measure up. Even to my own standard of goodness. So I know that there's no way I've measured up to yours. Thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. I believe that he is now Lord of all. And I believe he will come again one day to judge the living and the dead. I want to follow him as Lord of my life. Please forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin because of what Jesus did. Please fill me with your spirit as I seek to walk with you. Amen. So if that's you, if, if you prayed that this morning, um, I want to give you two sort of next steps. One, tell someone. Two, tell the world. And by that I mean proclaim publicly that you are now in Christ. And how do you do that? You get baptized. So let me know if that's you. But for all of us, let's turn to a time of response. And, you know, I hope what the word has gotten across is that this whole walking in righteousness, walking in justice, it's not something added on as something you have to do, you know, after you're saved. This is just all part of the process. God loves you. God saves you. God invites you into what he does. And that, we'll find out next week, is the good life. Not success, not money, not fame. Walking with your creator in his ways is the good life. And really what it's founded on is what Jesus did. And so if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, the the table is set to remember his body broken for you, to remember his blood spilled for you so that you could be cleansed from within. So that you, didn't, you don't have to cover up all that stuff so that he goes deep, deeper than you even know and he cleanses you and it's based on his blood. 
So if that's you, if you're a believer and you submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord, come do that on your own time as we worship. And then Tiffany and Zane will be up front. You know, if you're carrying burdens, if you're carrying brokenness, if you're carrying grief, if you're carrying suffering, you know, I want you to come receive prayer. Come have someone lay their hands on you and pray over you. And then otherwise, we're just going to sing. We're just going to celebrate. We're just going to thank God. Oh, man, this is just always good news. It's always worth reflecting and meditating on. If, you're, uh, if you call this church home, you want to give of your finances, you can do that in the box right here. Father, we give you this time of response. We, we want to be all yours. Lord, whoever we are, men, women, poor, rich, doesn't matter what our background is, we want to be your people. I want to be your man. Thank you that you provide all that we need in order to walk in your ways. You provided Jesus to cleanse us from within. You provide your spirit to walk with us and lead us on paths of righteousness. And it's all for your name's sake, for your glory. So we give you this time. We give you our fellowship after, Lord. Please deepen our fellowship and unity in Jesus' name. Amen.